Well, good morning. Good morning. My name's Bob Saunders. I'm a member of the board. This is my wife, Carrie. Good morning. We're going to do a little interview here with, with okay. Pastor Dennis and Becky. There are people here at the church and people online who, have, um, who might not know some of the background of our pastors and our pastors' families. So we thought this would be a, a good opportunity to um, get, have people get to know them a little bit better. So we're just going to ask a, a few little questions here, and, and we'll see how this works. So the, the first question for pastor is, what made a pastor from Georgia the home of the Atlanta World Series champion, Atlanta Braves, on, and, the number, and the number one Georgia Bulldogs? I just he, love he did, the way you worked that make, in there. He didn't influence me much to say that, but a little bit. Anyways, what made him pick up his family and moved to Brownstown, Brownstown, Michigan to take up ministry here at Woodland? Well, um, Becky. <laughs> no, we, when the first church first called us, we were laughing about this the other day. I was um, laying on the trampoline with my grandsons this past week. And we were looking up at the clouds, and I said to them, I said, do you know I was laying on a trampoline with your daddy and your uncles and your aunt when God called us to Michigan? And um, it was a long, drawn-out process because initially I just did not want to come. Becky had a great burden for the church after we visited here, but um, I just didn't sense any leading from the Holy Spirit. I... I talked with some of our executive presbyters from the general council. I talked with some of our college presidents that were good friends of mine. And um, the council was all the same. Do not make a decision until um, you know you have to live that out. And um, the church actually elected another pastor. And um, the uh, two weeks later, uh, he felt like, that he had made a mistake. I was preaching a youth convention in Nashville, Tennessee at the Opryland Hotel. And uh, when I got the follow-up call, and I knew then, to make a long story short, we were supposed to come. We came and candidated on the weekend of, at that time, I think they said it was the biggest snowstorm Detroit had had. <laughs> and I was really convinced I wasn't supposed to be here. And, um, <laughs> just, it was a long, drawn-out affair, but at the end, um, the Lord really gave peace. Becky all the time had a real sense of peace about it, and I think for me, the lesson in that was, um, it was hard leaving home to move up here and discovering, you know, the story of Abraham leaving his home to follow the call of God has really meant a lot to me. You probably could share a lot more on that. Yeah. He was praying, I was packing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I actually, the pastor that came was a good man, a really godly man, and I talked with him. Um, I did a tour for his district. I did a pastor board tour for his district, and um, he said, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it. He said, I really felt like I was supposed to come, and then I got there, and I really knew I wasn't supposed to be there. And he says, I think God sent me there until you could just change your mind. <laughs> so who knows? You know, I, I know it's been a good, it's been a great, next month will be 23 years. No, January will be 23 years. Yeah. Praise God. Amen. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. And mm -hmm. we're, I, we're, we're unbelievably happy you're here. Thank I'm, you. We're glad that uh, 
that the other pastor realized that it was <laughs> yeah. it, it wasn't his spot. So, all right. My question for Becky is: for um, a lot of us here know everything that she does here. A lot of things that she does here, as far as our sisterhood. Um, events that we have here with our Christmas tea and there's always a convention down in Missouri in October that we're always always welcome to come to but um, she does have a career outside of the church and I'd like her to share that with us um, that's the fun part of my <laughs> <laughs> no sometimes it's the stressful part um, I'm a tax advisor for a financial group here in town I do um, Medicare during the year, help people get where they need to be. So it's still kind of the same kind of things. I'm helping people find their way along. And then from January till April 15th, I am knee deep in taxes. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Thank yeah. you for that. People do need people like you that enjoy it. They're honest they're, and they're really truly trying to help them. Thank you. So thank you. Yeah. Becky has an excellent reputation in this community and, um, We've recently found out it's extended as far as New York City for the kind of work that she does. So we're very proud of her. I'm very proud of her. Pastor, we've heard a lot of the stories of, over the years of your ministry here at Woodland, in Georgia, around the world, really, at all the places you've been. Um, and so this is going to be a, a, a hard question, I'm sure. There's, there's so many. But what has been your most inspiring experience in ministry? I think I need to give two answers to that. One was um, I had just flown in from preaching in Europe. I had been preaching quite a while in Europe, and my office had accidentally overbooked me. I was supposed to be able to come home and rest for a few days before I went out, but I had an immediate... Um, obligation in another state and so uh, they had invited our whole family to come and so Becky and the kids met me in Atlanta we called another flight we you know after traveling overnight and we went and, and had to catch a puddle hopper to get to where we were going and I was exhausted I really was just too tired to preach and I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to communicate well our our kids were really really excited that I was home and so trying to stay awake for them. So when it got to the service that night, I was, this church you sat on the platform and I was sitting with the pastor and it was a huge church, it was packed out and there was a blind lady sitting in the congregation and I just sensed the Holy Spirit say, I'm going to heal her. And I just thought, Lord, I'm so tired, I'm not even sure I can preach, I can't keep my thoughts together. And the, it was just like the Holy Spirit said, I didn't say you were going to heal her. I'm going to heal her. And so I was hoping, and this sounds terrible, you know, and I hope you still love me after I say this. I didn't want to pray for anybody. I just wanted to get off that platform and go home and go to bed. But then the pastor said, I was going to pray for everybody that night. So there was this crowd of people, and this lady came down, first lady to come down. And I looked at her. And all I, and I've never said this to anybody else, all I said to her is, the Lord will heal you tonight. And God healed her of being totally and completely blind. She could see. Um, it was pandemonium for a moment. You know, her family was there. The press carried the story. And then a 
couple of weeks later, I just called back and I says, did she really? Is she still seeing? And they go, yes, it's a, everybody's talking about it. So God still is a healing God. Never stop praying. It doesn't. It doesn't depend upon who's praying for you. It depends upon God's timing. And that's the key lesson I learned from that. You know, it's not that you're the man or you're the woman. It's God's timing. The other was when our church embraced the call to our vision statement to celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. And, and we even changed our name. And um, uh, I was preaching a leadership conference for another district in, here in the Midwest. And I told him, I said, um, you know, I may not have a job when I go back, but this is what we're doing. And, um, you know, and God really did. He did a work of grace here in this congregation and in, in this community as well. Yeah. Okay, Becky, you're up. Um, what has been your biggest challenge or your victory in your ministry here? Um. You know, I think initially I did not realize how much of an adjustment it would be for our family when we made the transition. Yeah. You know, um, we knew by the time we actually made the move, we knew this was the right thing to do. This was the right time to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I did not realize at that point what a transition it was going to be for my children. I mean, there were even there were even cultural differences from growing up in the South. I remember <laughs> right after we moved here, I went to the grocery store, and they didn't have the automatic doors, so this man was behind me, and I got to the door, and I stopped, <laughs> and he ran into me, <laughs> and he looked at me, he said, woman, what are you doing? And I was like, I was waiting on you to open the door, and he looked at me and said, you're not from here, are you? <laughs> And I was like, oh, no, we're not in Kansas anymore. So um, the adjustment, I think the biggest reward was coming through those adjustments mm -hmm. and seeing what God was planning something. I mean, we were just obedient. We didn't know what was going to happen. But just seeing how God has brought that to fruitfulness through the years. Mm -hmm. Such a blessing. Yeah. Such a blessing. She maybe should answer my question. She's much more concise than I am. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. So, Pastor, well, we know uh, when we watch the Atlanta Braves or the Georgia Bulldogs and we see them performing at their peak, that um, there's a lot that goes into that, right? Oh, yeah. there's, there's a lot that we don't see. We see them on Saturdays or we see them in the World Series and, and we see them performing at their peak. We see you and we think you're performing at your peak every Sunday. We, oh, we you. love your past. We love your sermons and your, and your, um, your messages. Um, but we know that there's more that goes into it. Mm -hmm. We know there's a lot more that goes into it, a lot, and a lot of people don't see that. So what does an average day in, in the life of our senior pastor here at Woodland look like? I think this needs <laughs> to be specified for, for me because not every pastor is like this, and... I've had some pastors talk to me, and, and um, I've actually taught on this for several denominations and for our district. Um, I'm by nature an early riser, so my day starts really early. Right. And 
I made a commitment when I was a youth pastor. I was fortunate to work for a pastor that would allow me to do this. I said, look, you know, the, I can do everything else that you'd like me to do. I can do that in the afternoon. But I have to be ready for kids. It's, you know, they're the toughest group. Junior hires are the toughest group in the world to speak to. And um, so, I, you know, I spend my morning studying, writing, rehashing, preparing, um, because there's more than just a Sunday morning message to prepare for every week. And, um, and then in the afternoons, my, my life is filled with, with meetings, hospitals, counseling, vision casting, leadership development. Um, I ask everybody at our church to have somewhere where they volunteer outside of our, our congregation and serve in our community. So there are two different roles that I serve in our community in, to serve and to volunteer. Um, to contribute, you know, I don't want to just, Becky and I just don't want to take from the community that we live in. We want to give back to the community that we live in. So um, Thursday night is sacrosanct. That's our family night. We're always together as a family on Thursday night. And my two grown sons that live away from home, they've adopted that as, as family night for their family. And um, I'm so proud of them for having done that yeah. as well. So, yeah, the afternoons are pretty exciting. It's, it's pretty different. Saturday morning is just prayer and wrap up, you know. I'm pretty well ready for Sunday on Thursday. And uh, Saturday morning is um, it's just, it's just wrap up and administrative, catching up on anything that I may have fallen through the cracks. Now, sometimes, and the pandemic has really affected this. Now, like tomorrow, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Mark and I will leave very early in the morning to go to a funeral. And so that will consume our whole day right. to go to the funeral and come back home. It will consume our whole day. So whatever we have um, to do, technology helps us because we can both work in the car with the other one is driving. So technology is a real big help. So that when we come home, everything is not just log jammed for the following day. Does that make sense? Right. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. Yep, I know your your days are full and busy. That's mm -hmm. I think that's what it comes down to. I never use that word though. I don't like that word. I okay. am not. You can call me anytime. You know, my everybody's right. got my number. You call me if you need. And me. we do, we do. I may not answer the phone, <laughs> but I'll get back with you eventually. Bob and I thought that was such an important question to ask. Um, Pastor, and I'm going to ask a real similar question for Becky about that because we want you to know how much they pour their lives and their hearts and souls into this uh, congregation for Christ and um, what they do. They just don't, you know, show up on, on Sunday and here we go. They they're, do a lot of planning, a lot of investing, and we want you all to understand and know that. So, Becky, what, what's a typical day for you? Well, my husband and I are actually opposites. He's a morning person. I do my best work between midnight and 2 a.m. So, <laughs> so the days are really busy. I mean, any mom knows that it's, it's a full-time job just being a mom and keeping everybody where they need to be. Uh, and then I'm here in the office, uh, I, and I'm also working at the at the financial office, so my days are pretty structured, and then my creativity kicks in about midnight, and that's where we get Christmas teas and and garden parties and all of those things. In a cold bed in the wintertime. 
There was one night that I um, got this brainstorm in the middle of the night. We were, we were trying to adjust to the pandemic and figure out how we were going to keep women's ministries going and children's ministries going, and we couldn't meet together. And so I got this brainstorm in the middle of the night, so it's about 1.30 in the morning, and I'm typing and putting this into our leaders' um, Facebook chat where we compare notes. And about that time, three of my women's leaders popped on, and they're like, that's a great idea. Why don't we do this? And I'm like, oh, wow, we really are creative in the middle of the night. And we planned it all out between midnight and 2 a.m. So um, Since I'm a I gave Becky an iPad a few years ago, I have to sleep with a mask on at night <laughs> because any light wakes me up and... Yeah, she and the folks she's texting with, you know. Yeah. yeah. So we, we kind of learn to adjust, you know, as long as I have the coffee. So before I go to bed at 2, I just be sure the coffee is ready for him. At, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we've passed on the stairs, you know. Okay. Um, so um, over the years, I know when you got, when you got here, to Michigan, you spend a lot of time on, on visioning and mm -hmm. looking forward into the plan and um, what what it looked like to you. So can you give us um, an, basically an update, what your vision for Woodland looks like now and how has it changed over the years? Oh, the vision has never changed. Um, when I retire, whenever the Lord says that, that time comes, um, I will release a document that was given to me after the initial board and pastoral staff that I had the privilege of working with. Um, and I'm looking around, I see Don Gurney here. I, I don't see anybody else, you know, that was Pastor Rick was a part of that, Dan Pace was a part of that. Dave Sexton was a part of that, and Tim Romanowski, and I know Tim's watching online, mm -hmm. and Dave may be as well. But, and their wives and the pastors at the time, there was something that was given to me that um, we appointed a transitional team as well to help people understand what it was that we felt like God had called us to do. And that word was such, and I don't use this word lightly, I don't, I'm not a real mystical person, but that word was a very prophetic word that was written down. And I have saved that and kept that, but I knew that was the kind of thing because there were things written in there about me that just needs to wait and when I'm gone, that be released. Okay. So the vision has never changed. To celebrate God's love is worship. Can I, let me have my hand. Celebrate God's love is worship. It's not just what we do here in church. It's how we live our lives. If I knew Jesus Christ was coming today, I would still do what I'm doing right now. I would preach the gospel because that's how I worship the Lord. If, if you knew he was coming tomorrow and you're building cars, you should build cars because our work is prayer. You know, the way we pray always is having this bent, and I've taught on this before, we have this bent in our lives to, to pray and to make everything we do a prayer. So to celebrate God's love is more than just singing, lifting our hands. It's how we live our lives. It's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 teaches us. 
by persuading means then that we get involved with what Jesus did, and that was sharing the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom comes with a lot of benefits, but neither Jesus nor the church spent a lot of time talking about the benefits. The church preached the cross. And while we took communion this morning, I started crying because I'm sitting there and I'm worshiping and I'm still impacted by what happened just a few moments ago. I was looking at the cross while I was eating the bread, and, I, and, I, and I, I always deliberately try to think of what Christ did for us, and then as we pray at the end, that he's promised he's going to take this with us again. But it's like while he's hanging there on the cross, while he's being crucified, he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, that just about absolutely slew me right there for a moment because I realized the heart of God is for lost people. Jesus doesn't want anybody to go to hell. And if there's anything, I don't get angry easy, I don't think. But if there's anything that really angers me sometimes is that people act like they could care less that their grandchildren, their children, their neighbors, their friends, that if they die without Christ, if they die without having given their hearts to Jesus, they go to hell. And that's an eternity. And that should grip and seize us of the amazing love of God. And when Penn and Teller, the, the, the atheist, the comedic group said, if I believed what Christians said they believed, I would crawl across broken glass to be sure my friends got that. Church is not about us coming to be comfortable. It's coming about us to be built up and encouraged in our faith. It's, it's about us loving one another, loving each other, loving God, and then going out of here with the greatest message in the world, that God not only created us, we fell in sin, but Jesus came to save us, and we're about to celebrate the greatest season of that. So Amen. persuading people is what we do, not by being weird and thumping Bibles, but just by building relationships Last night, my, I, my uh, iPhone gives me a, a, a picture throughout the day from the history of my iPhones. And one of my friends, my neighbors, who gave his heart to Jesus in my front yard, he popped up, him and I popped, it popped up, somebody took our picture together. And I'm just so thankful to know he's in heaven and to have been able to tell his daughters about his confession of faith and his wife, his confession of faith. A few weeks ago, one of his relatives, I was out in the yard getting out of my car, one of his relatives came by and pulled in the driveway and said, hug my neck, said, you don't know me, but thank you for telling my brother about Jesus. And he was just in his early 40s when he went to heaven. So celebrate God's love, how we live, persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. That's discipleship. That's what I try to do in preaching, is to exhort the body of Christ, is what we try to do with our discipleship classes. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to not only believe the gospel, but follow the gospel. You know, we're not going to get to do it today, but today's message was faith alone. And saving faith is not just, oh, I believe Jesus, now I get to go to heaven. Hot dog. Saving faith means I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to do what Christ called me to do. So how has the vision changed? Vision hasn't changed. How have we changed as a church? Well, number one, I think we had... We have to understand this community has more than doubled in size. This community is, is, has, you know, this is a great community that we live in. Downriver is not the same downriver that it was 23 years ago. 
And um, I'm involved with enough people like you who are in uh, civic leadership. Mm -hmm. This community has drastically changed. And we have to continually understand that people are looking for relationship. The pandemic, I believe, has not just been something in the natural, but I believe the devil has really used the pandemic to give people a fear about being involved with their neighbors, involved in church. And people have fallen out of the habit of, of being in church and doing life together. You cannot be the body of Christ sitting at home on your sofa. And I don't mean that with any condemnation, but we're called to pray together. We're called to worship together. We're called to serve together. We're called to work together. We're called to be a body. And that means that we need to take seriously about not only doing life together, but we also need to take seriously about teaching our children because Pastor Corey and the rest of the team, they get our children for maybe an hour to two hours a week. And then the rest of the week, our kids are being influenced by so much that is unchristlike. So if there's anything, no, the vision hasn't changed, but we must once again catch the passion and the vision of what this life is all about and eternity is coming. That, if, as I get older, if there's anything that grips and seizes my heart, this, in the last few weeks, we've had so many friends, close personal friends pass away, some in their 40s, some in their 50s. This pandemic is still happening. Right. It's still happening. So pardon me if I sound a little bit intense on your question, but eternity matters. It matters, and we must take seriously. This is the greatest life ever to be able to live for Jesus. If it wasn't, people wouldn't be letting their throats be slit in other parts of the world rather than deny Jesus Christ. We are so blessed to be givers. We are so blessed to be comfortable. We are so blessed to live in this country. But I think we need to catch some of what people in other countries have. We need to be willing not only to die for the gospel, we need to be willing to live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Bob, one of the things that we said in those early days when we were really fleshing out what this, this um, calling was going to be about is that the message doesn't change. Methods always do. I mean, we've got a whole new generation back there of kids, and we're always looking for new ways and new ideas. How do we communicate this message of Jesus Christ to someone that didn't grow up like me, that grew up in the church? And, you know, I know, I know all the church talk. Um, how do I present to them the message of Jesus Christ? How do I give to these kids that they're just learning about the love of Jesus? How do I communicate to my next-door neighbor that church isn't just about being in this building? Church is about coming to know Jesus in the front yard. You yeah. know? So the methods are vast. The message doesn't change. And I will promise you this. If you take seriously, if you take seriously, and you set this up, so thank you. <laughs> if you take seriously our vision celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. That everybody that walks into your life, there's two things they wanna know, is will you accept them and will you love them? Mm -hmm. 
the second thing, and that does, I, I've proven that in my own personal relationships with people of other religions and faiths in this community. Second thing is, if we will take seriously that not only does everybody matter, but everybody needs a presentation through our lives, through our witness of who Jesus really is, not of who Woodland is, not of who I am, but who Jesus really is, and then each of us takes seriously our obligation to grow in our faith. And our, I'm still growing. You know, the right. Lord still, you know, I pray that fifth commandment in the Lord's prayer. Lord, forgive me every day. I'm still growing. And if we would take seriously the fact that God has a ministry gift for every one of us. When you give your heart to Jesus, God gives you a ministry gift. And when you work in that gift, you're, in, you're, you're unstoppable. You are unstoppable. I, I believe that's part of the reason the Lord let me live through 40-plus major surgeries, and I still can do what I do, is because God is trying to show people, you, through people like me, there's others, you're unstoppable when you're working in your spiritual gift. If I was to deny Christ, I think I would die tomorrow. I, I really do. But when you operate in the gift that God has given you, you are unstoppable, and every one of us has a mission. And, and my mission is different Somebody took me to lunch uh, not too long ago, and they said, you know, I expected something totally different from you, and you're not what I expected, and I liked that. And I, so I wanted to know, what did you expect? And they said, well, I expected a typical white man in his 60s. And, and I said, uh, well, I am a white man in my 60s. But what they said next was, yeah, but you belie what they say that you are. In media let's let's not let the world define us let's allow, allow the Holy Spirit to define us by getting out and getting involved when you celebrate God's love everybody matters amen, amen. everybody amen. matters everybody matters we've got um, one last question and um, it's uh, for Becky, and it's during the pandemic, you discovered a new outdoor hobby <laughs> that your family has enjoyed <laughs> along with you. Please tell everybody about that. Well, I was, um, I think the pandemic, everybody, you know, kind of went home and kind of did what, you, that didn't happen for us. Um, things, if anything, intensified because not only now were we responsible for you know, for you, but all of a sudden we had people in our community that, that, you know, they needed groceries, they needed, toilet they needed. <laughs> I went to the grocery store one day three times and bought toilet paper and gave it all away before I got home. So my husband said, please stop giving away our toilet paper. She um, had a spiritual gift of TP. <laughs> <laughs> so for us, things were getting, things were really a little bit stressful. Yeah of, you know, everything changed in a moment. Uh, I was at work, and the Trenton police knocked on our door at work and said, you have to be out of the building by 3 o'clock. Uh, the state is shutting down. And so everything went into an uproar. So I was, I've always enjoyed flowers and things like that, and, and it was like, Lord, I need something I need a place, I need something that is, has nothing to do with a pandemic, has nothing to do with the church, 
And so I started digging in the yard, and then I found this wonderful YouTube show called Garden Answer, another Christian couple that, you know, they're just enjoying being in their yards. And um, so I turned into a little bit of a gardener, and now my backyard is, you know, neighbors were leaning on the fence going, what are we having for supper tonight? Because <laughs> I was having to give stuff away. Um, it gave me a place to have a break, a break from the pandemic, a break from, from thinking about the church, a break from thinking about my children of, you know, how are we going to make it through this pandemic? It gave me a break, but it also gave me a place. You know, it's amazing when you're out in the yard and you're working, the rest of your family disappears. Because you know? yeah. <laughs> then I'm going to say, can you go get the wheelbarrow? Can you go, can you dig this hole for me, Benjamin? He's planting I don't know how many trees. Um, we show up for supper, though. You do. <laughs> but one day there was a particular intense need that came up. And I went out into my side garden, and I was praying. And it was one of those times, you know, sometimes you can pray out loud, and sometimes you can pray a prayer that you learned as a child. And then sometimes you just really get down, and you talk with God, and you let him know this is not good. Oh, and, yeah. And so I was in the side in, in what I call my cut flower garden, and I was weeding the flower bed, and God and I were having an intense conversation and I didn't realize my neighbor was on the other side of the fence. And in a few minutes, I heard her say, hang on, I'm praying with you. <laughs> oh, praise God. So it has been my, my place of refuge. It has turned into a place, I hope, of beauty. It's turned into a place of, of having plenty of vegetables to share. But it's also turned into a place that I have time with God that I can say, all right, God, we're going to dig a hole today, and we're going to have a conversation. <laughs> Almost uh, uh, therapy. Yeah. Your therapy yeah. session with the Lord. I will not say that it's cheaper than therapy. <laughs> I wish my daddy was still alive to see her mini farm. Yeah, he would love that. So I think that's about it for, the, for the questions uh, today. So um, uh, I hope that everybody got a little bit something out of that. People that have, uh, are newer to the church, or even if you've been here a while, uh, hopefully we, everybody got a little and bit I of... I hope our online campus yeah, was... Yeah, and online also.